Hello and welcome to episode eight of season two of Angelcast with me, Adam. Me, Alex. And Andy. And um, this week we're going to be talking quite a lot about um, Age of Sigma and, you'll be glad to hear it, Necromunda, both uh, on the tabletop and digitally, weirdly enough, because uh, that's the sort of world that we live in, although it's not the game you'll be expecting that's going to be um, digital. So, um, yeah, we'll see you after this. Welcome back. In this week's match play section, we're going to be talking about the Age of Sigmar, but we're particularly going to be focusing on a pretty exciting team version of Age of Sigmar that um, began in 2020 briefly and has now managed to continue in person in Nottingham at the T-Sports Arena. It is the Super Series Genesis, uh, hosted by Rob Symes, the Honest Wargamer, amongst you know various of his lackeys and cronies and whoever's free on the given weekend. Um, I can't remember if we talked about this at all previously. I suppose not, because um, it will have come after we stopped recording season one. So, yeah, I don't um, think we have. There's, yeah. there's no, there, yeah, after we stopped recording season one, that uh, this all happened. So, we've been to team events and talked about how we love team events. Mm. And this is the kind of natural evolution, right? Yeah, so Donal and I went to uh, Warhammer World, I think it was January 2019, to um, do the first sort of on-stream game for the Gloomspike Gits, and that evening we went to the pub with Rob, and um, Rob uh, gave us a bit of a lowdown of what was then the plan, which was to do T-Sports, if you're familiar with eSports, um, then T-Sports is with tables, so tabletop gaming. Um, and yeah, so the idea is you have a team, is it teams of four? It is, yeah. 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 So instead of having a whole team event like we did down at um, Cardiff at Firestorm for Brotherhood, um, we, um, you actually just have two teams competing on one day um, and they played three games, which are predetermined um, uh, scenarios, I think. Um, and we've had so far uh, three weekends of it one of them was a really long time ago um one was a couple of weeks ago and then we had a double header as weekend gone so there were eight teams competing um and um if you know the honest wargamer at all um you will know that they stream games and some of that's been on tts over last year and so my first point is it's really nice to watch models on a table isn't it just isn't it just like just, nice, just, just a really nice uh thresholds across in the year and a half that we've all just had so yeah it's super cool so um would someone just like to give us a bit of an idea of what the concept is because it's not your standard team event yeah so it's it's they're doing knockout rounds um four-man teams um where you 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 know you, you pick three mates i guess but there's some pretty power teams in there between them they've got a whole range of armies and stuff and then there's like a week run up and i i confess i probably could i'm probably going to get the details wrong but they do they, they the teams come together and they kind of they're in the community so everyone knows what kind of armies they have what they like playing and stuff like that that's i guess part of the understanding of the of the tournament they have like a ban phase and the latest game has just had its ban phase tonight um where you can select uh five units not battle line um and taking it in turns you can only have one unit from each battle tone 
um, and that unit is banned for the for the entire event. So you could like you could ban the gash, but you could only ban the gash in the OBR book, for example. And then you could take anything else in OBR. To my knowledge, Nagash has never been banned because it's a stupid ban. But and, and crucially, still take Nagash in Legions of Nagash. I think so. I don't I, think so. No, it's oh, the same no. war score. Yeah, it's the same war score. But I, I would guess I picked a really bad example because he's in two books and he's probably one of the very few. No, that's a good example though because they specifically <laughs> talk about Cities of Sigma as well, don't they? They say that um, there's a very difficult. He, he mentioned that I'm pretty certain that if um, a unit is banned from, I don't know, the, the Stormcast book, it can still be used in Cities. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. No one seems to run cities, which is interesting. Um, and no one seems to ban against it because there are too many units for it to be a too meaningful ban. ban. Right? Too big to ban, indeed. So that's a bit like if you watch um, something like Rainbow Six Siege or um, Overwatch first-person shooter tournaments on esports on Twitch, um, then you might ban particular classes or operators um, in order to you know, remove something particularly powerful from the meta. Um, and I think it's fascinating. We often complain Is about it... balance, right? And this takes out or has the potential to take out stuff that breaks the game, potentially. I think there's an interesting distinction. I think that's what Andy was going to jump in with. We're going to beat him to it. You can do defensive bans as well. Um, and so I think there was an example the weekend just gone with the siege list that did quite well. Uh, with the, the exalted uh, flamers, and in order to defend his list, he banned um, his own team, banned regular siege flamers. Yeah, which meant that, which meant that siege right. can then be targeted again. So he was actually able to ring fence his own um, list concept. And I guess we saw the same thing theories. with Daughters of Cain a couple of weeks yeah. ago. They banned Doomfire Warlocks because nobody runs those. Um, but then you get to a point, so that's quite interesting. The first round, you see lists that are either protected or are a variation on lists that we're used to seeing. Um, I've been quite interested that a lot of the teams, uh, so we've had eight teams play so far in the Super Series Genesis, have taken Sons of Bemat. Um, mm. which we kind of pondered when they came out. Like, is that going to be good in teams? They've got such high wounds. They're very quick. They're able to kick objectives around um, and they count as like a lot of models. So if you're going, if you are just going to like score points and smash stuff and get your auxiliaries and secondaries, we kind of thought, you know, well, maybe we'll put a, a Sons of Bema army together for that. And the jury's out because some of the players have been really successful with them and some of them have not. I think what's interesting for me is the first round is a bit shooting in the dark. It's the first time this has been done with the game that we play. What was interesting was this evening was the ban phase for the first I get it was semi or quarterfinals. There's only a final afterwards. I don't watch enough sports to know which way around those. Um, but there's a match of two teams that have already competed. And so there's also footage of the games that they've played we know what lists they had and so one of the first bands tonight out of the gate was targeted against andy hughes of the dragon slayers who did incredibly well as usual with fire slayers um and i can't remember off the top of my head which angry ginger dwarves it was they banned cool so i mean he had like what 80 of those in his list previously um so We've seen him play. Sounds excessive, but yeah. It's two units of 40, I think, like yeah, genuinely. Um, so we've seen him play. He's now not allowed to bring those. And I think that as like a second phase is super interesting. Um, yeah. So 
I, I know Andy's got depth in his Fire Slayers, but I don't know, Alex, maybe you know better than I do, whether there is another Fire Slayers list. Like, can I, we play them without it? I, I guess you can. I think there's there's been some um, uh, some success with, with Hermdog, multiple Magma Droths, um, but that's, again, that's very... You've got to, I mean, Andy Hughes absolutely knows what he's doing, so, you know, I, yeah. testament to the player. Uh, but the, the, this is one of the interesting points with with Rob's format with with TSN is that um, I, there are certain books at the moment that just struggle for depth generally. Um, Fire Slayers being very much one of those, particularly while we're still in AOS two and battalions, because uh, TSN forbids battalions being um, uh, banned um, because Games Workshop are going to do that for us. Um, so. You know, if you're running Fire Slayers right now and uh, you don't have your Hearthguard Berserkers in your Lords of the Lodge, then it, it it takes a damn good play to make a success of that book. But also, that's kind of why this whole thing is cool. Right. right? Um, as a f- former Fire Slayers player, I sold my Fire Slayers because I felt they were one-dimensional, which actually is not fair or reasonable because <laughs> for a good player, they're not. Um, yeah. Sorry, they are. It's just for me, they're not, because I'm crap. I so think, what, um, what would be really interesting is to see Andy Hughes use Fire Slayers uh, as a player of my stature, who's still very much learning and is mid-table mediocrity everything I go to. Um, it would be interesting to see how that could be used more dynamically and differently. Yeah, it would certainly be interesting to see a Fire Slayers list. Um, I may well be wrong. Um, This episode comes out on Friday at 9am and the uh, lists come out on Friday at 5pm. So you may have listened to this before the lists come out, but if you've been at work, you may not have done. So I might just be immediately wrong. I suspect Andy's going to pick another army off the shelf. Um, I, I can't see how you make Fire Slayers work without it. Um, and then that's interesting because Andy's quite famous for running them successfully and taking out a couple of events a couple of years ago with this book. Um, so you kind of then wonder, you know, why they weren't banned in round one. Um, people just forget about them, I think, because they're sort of the army that everyone hates to paint. Um, the other big ban for this week was, um, I forget the guy's name, so apologies, but after one of the uh, players on the other team did really well um, with Daughters of Cain, Marathi's banned this time, not in Fire Warlocks. Yeah, so. straight, straight out of the gates as well, she was the first ban yeah. on the table, which um, I, I like, I really like the, 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 the subtlety that's being built into this format because it's, pairings are always a thing and uh, at, um, team events and pairings are obviously part of the TSN format as well. But yeah. this ban phase introduces an extra sort of tactical depth. It's it's very much a statement of intent for the first thing that you do to ban Marathi, right? It's it's quite they were describing it as aggro mm-hmm. and it's almost a bit um I think it, you know you provoke profit word you're provoking effects. I mean she she's also I'm pretty sure banned from the other match as well. Um, so there's a match on Saturday between um, Bad Moon Loons and the Bruces, and Marathi was the second ban for the Bruces. So she, right. people obviously don't want her in the game. Techless is banned again. We're seeing a lot of the kind of god level characters um, being taken out. Um, cool. Yeah. So quite quite interesting, really. Um, and it looks as well like um, Volkites possibly Volkites are the ones with the fla- the flails with axe heads and fire on the end. 
as opposed to the two hundred half guard. Half guard. So half guard berserkers are banned um, by the Bruces as well. Um, so that's the game. That's the format. We've got um, these next games coming up um, this this weekend. Um, as a beginner, what do we think? So if I if I were if I googled Warhammer, if I had a friend who'd mentioned it to me in passing, and I'd seen you know let's say I'd seen the trailer for AOS three, yeah, and I'm like, oh cool, new Stormcast look super awesome riding the lightning there's like metallica playing in my head already um and these like grot or auric uh hob grots are looking pretty great um if i clicked into google typed in warhammer typed in competitive warhammer and the tsn came up would i know where to begin probably not <laughs> so it's a yes and no kind of answer isn't it i think you need some you need someone to explain it to you yeah but and i think if you're just learning the core like the issue of watching any stream is you have to have some knowledge of the rules at least the core rules to know what's going on anyway so i think if you're an absolute green beginner then watching any stream of any nature is going to be a bit problematic but i do think there is huge advantages to what Bob's doing with this format, and that is as players play their few first few games, understand the core rules, so can watch a stream meaningfully. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was great this weekend, actually? I mean, someone I can't remember who it was, but a team dropped out at the last minute, so they had four narrative guys come in, and one of them had Caradron with, and they converted all the boats into into World War Two fighter planes, and they put like flat wings on them and stuff. So. I think it showcases the game quite well. I also think it's not entry, entry level, but for people like us, maybe, or even people who've got less experience than us, not that I have a lot, but anyway, um, I think being able to watch the games and being able to see the pairings, what armies are actually being brought, gives you a good feel. A, what's hot, right? What, what's cool and what, you know, what's, what's, what's good. Yeah. But also, and to me, this is more important, how they play. Yeah, right? absolutely. So if you're looking for your next army and you're trying to figure out whether you want a smash list or something that's tactical or something that's magical or something that teleports or not, then you're probably going to see something in these streams that says, oh, I could take that teleporting army or that teleporting army and this one looks nicer. Yeah. Right? And it helps you make that informed decision as to what you might do next. And the best thing about that is you actually get to follow that list across three games. So traditionally, streams would um, pick whatever is either on the top table or would, would aim for variety. So you would see a range of different matchups and across a five game tournament, you could see 10 different lists. I think the interesting point here, if you see a, a list there that you kind of like the look of, you can really watch its progress and watch it uh, perform against different armies and really learn its intricacies um, over the course of, 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 of a day's viewing, as it were. I think one of the things that Rob has done particularly well and Adam Mumford's been doing well recently um, presenting, I didn't catch the one on Sunday this week, um, 
is to follow that through as well. So talking back and saying, right, in the previous round, you'll remember they did this. Actually, they're more likely to struggle with this scenario due to their force organization. And then because we have these competitive teams banning similar things as well, you know, there's a Zinch army in there. We've seen a couple of KO armies. We've seen a couple of Sons of Bema armies, as I've said already. Um, a lot of the lists are quite similar. In fact, the Sons of Bema army were identical, save I think it was um, artifacts. So you're able to see how they act in the same scenarios with different generals as well, um, which is interesting. So Rob set the three uh, scenarios for the first round. So they, they were the same for all four uh, weekend games that were played. Um, so that was really interesting, I thought. Um, and I just am getting, I feel like I'm getting a much better sense of what stuff goes in, does in the game, as you said. So I've said on the on the podcast before you know i used to be pretty heavily on the cutting edge of knowing what stuff did and certainly we did lots of research before going to brotherhood um for example but since january 2019 i've not read a new battle tome i just haven't um i've barely read the ones i've bought apart from what what are in the predetermined lists i bought because i wanted to do the models so i know what's in beast claw raiders I vaguely know what's in Auric Warclans because I played Andy um, and sort of flipped through a digital version of it while I was painting. But New Daughters of Cain, I've got no idea. New Seraphon, all I know is that I've heard that they're horrifying. Lumineth, I've played them on TTS enough to know that I don't want to play them in person, right? So what I've gained is an understanding of how those armies function right and so if i go to a tournament i'm i feel like i'm less likely to be surprised or caught out by stuff like severith this weekend the flying fox guy right you can't get in contact with mm. him well we knew that so you either deal with him and george was saying today he played a game with his gloom spike gits and he just handed gawked a load of grots across the table in a grid so severith couldn't move anywhere and then just moved forwards that's a way of doing it just, if you can zone out the whole table great um, but I just feel like I have much more of an oversight of what's going on than I ever could have done with TTS being a thing. And I think the importance there is, had you been watching the stream and seen somebody deal with Severith like that, and Severith being one of those units that the internet has exploded in anger over recently, yeah. um, it suddenly, if you're, if you're like me, because I don't always, I, I'm, I sometimes really struggle to play the game that's in front of me. I always have an idea of how I want my list to work. And then I try and get it to work that way. And if it doesn't work that way, then, uh, and then I tend to end up being in trouble and end up getting 20 nilled or doing all right. That's basically quite extreme in that sense. Um, yeah. But actually seeing those kind of maneuvers on the stream uh, and, uh, you know, in that kind of forum is really cool. Uh, and, and that uh, is really going to help with players uh, developing their own games as well yeah i i agree um i i want to play in one um tim is vaguely talking about having a rule zero one there's a bad moon cafe team which are actually through to the the finals um so it would be fun to do it'd be the next season of it um one of the things that has struck me that is a potential barrier to entry is if for example everybody knows you play ko your list gets banned, right? Somebody just has, um, are hex raids battle line if? Yeah. So yeah. hex raids get banned and you can't play Nighthorn, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I have it's... actually, on that point though, I have actually thought, I mean, we're, we're segueing slightly into AOS3 here. 
I have wondered whether Shrieker Host goes amazing in um, AOS 3. Although, of course, the actual Shrieker Host itself won't be there. But the, those models, right? So an MSU army of the Dread, Dread Harridans and stuff like that, where they can debuff people. I wonder if that MSU list actually comes back into its own again. Yeah, it could well do. Um, I think MSU is going to be the thing that is really interesting for Rob to have to contend with going into um, T-Sports Season 2. Um, the game's going to be in such a different place with the board sizes as well. Um, yeah. That MSU, um, and again, with the, the danger of things on the charge in Nighthorn, that, um, that distance being lesser is going to be phenomenally powerful because if you get those charges off you can cover a lot more of the board and you're still doing a lot of damage while you're in there um in terms of what you guys are currently building and playing quickly then one of the things that we know is happening in aos 3 is that the boards are getting smaller as in 40k what are your instincts what what do you think that's going to mean in terms of your list building and the way you envisage games going I, I wish I was smart enough to figure it out. I will correct myself. I just looked it up. Hex rates are pure battle lines, so they're not bannable in Nighthawk. It's the main one. Sweet. <clears throat> well, you'll be fine then. Well, they... yeah, unless unless I'm forced to take them in units of five, in which case they're not quite so good. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess the board's a little bit smaller, so you're less likely to be in a position where you can avoid 30-inch dispels. But that's... I would say that's a relatively minor thing because the whole magic thing seems very polarized at the moment where you either take someone that's guaranteed to cast or you just don't bother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess there'll be more <clears throat> turn one charges. Yeah. Um, like even if it's in the second half of the turn. So I think it'll be a bit more brutal. Um, so maybe that means a little bit less shooting because... Um, Long-range shooting is just not going to be that useful because you can't hide. Will smaller boards actually affect the distances that the two armies start apart? Genuine question, not me being dumb. Yeah, because it's the long way. It's the it's the length of the board that's shrinking, not the width. So right. okay. the armies are getting closer together. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. So if you baseline, you're eight inches closer. Something like that. Yeah, I think scenario dependent is going to be interesting. Um, I'm, already... I'm, I'm just running. Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. I'm just, I'm just running on the theory that um, movement has always been uh, a very key component of the game. Yeah. I think it is a component that needed dealing with to some extent. I say this as somebody who's got five ships that can clearly teleport around the board willy-nilly. <laughs> But it's, it, I, it is generating a lot of negative play experience. And I also don't want to be that guy. I want to use the army I love, but I don't want to be that guy. So I kind of like the idea that, you know, I still have to be nine inches away. Finding that nine inches might be a little bit more problematic and, um, and uh, my opponent might be able to deal with it a bit more effectively. I like that. Yeah. Um, and also, I, I, I think it's going to be a good day for your Nurgle players, um, and also if Foot Duardin become a thing, yeah. Foot Duardin army, which I hope it will do. Um, anyone who's basically dealing with four-inch movement base, um, it would be Got quite trek. nice to... Got Trek. Um, it will 
uh, hopefully improve their game and their chances a little bit. But again, like Andy, I'm not I'm not smart enough to figure out exactly the, the, the subtleties of that. That's just my kind of kind of gut instinct. I think it cuts both ways, personally, um, and it's going to depend on people's play styles in a way that's quite difficult to get your head around. Um, I don't think it's going to linear kind of benefit or, um, as you know, the, the rumour is that, or the suggestion is that 40k has um, is a much better game for combat armies than it was before the tables were shrunk. Um, I, I feel like Beast Claw are going to get there quicker, so that's nice. But I put them on the line anyway, and the scenario defines how far away you are. So for me, it's not going to make a massive difference because I'm not using my back line most of the time. It's going to be important against stuff like the stupid spell that um, little Marathi does that has a 36-inch range. Um, it's also going to be harder for people to backline their um, wizards against something like an encounter um, or the um, the rune tokens, um, the skull shards. Sorry, to stop the stop magic automatically. Um, I just think it'll make the game get into contact a lot quicker. But we have to bear in mind as well, we've got some unknowns in terms of what monsters do on the charge. There's supposedly a whole chart of stuff that they're going to be doing, and there's command points for charge reactions. So being closer will mean that there's more combat, but that's actually going to bring complexity into the game. So a couple of people have suggested that maybe it's going to speed things up. I, I suspect that it won't, and that our games will take, you know... Well, I, I mean, you can, you, can, you can kind of construe it from what they're talking about, all the points going up, the model count going down. If the game's still going to be a two-and-a-half-hour game, and you've increased complexity, you have to drop the model count. So that, yes. that goes in. <clears throat> I think it's going to be interesting on footprint, right? Because... What you're effectively doing, if you're taking four inches off one edge, you're effectively taking two square feet off the board. That's okay, the I'm just, just going to nod and yeah. say yes. I'm not <laughs> it's four, it's four, in, four inches, which is a third of a foot times six foot, right? Yeah, it's so a third of a foot times six is two just, square feet. Yeah. So, so, I mean, if you think of two square feet, two square feet is quite a lot all in one place, right? So, um, where you've got units that have got a big footprint, like uh, supposedly we're losing like massive horde units and stuff like that, but like a unit of five cavalry on the, has a larger percentage footprint on the board than they had before, right? Yeah. So individual units become more influential. You're narrowing the distance between the two players, but like how many times, how many times have you played on a six by four and never spent any time on the two extreme six-inch board edges. Um, less often than most because of how other than, other than teleporting tree revenants and stuff like that, right? So, like, if you yeah. if you're taking an army and you're playing up the board in a in quotes conventional way, it's yeah. very rare you'll be in the the six inches to either side of the board, right? Yeah. But if the board's narrower and you're squashed for space, it may actually spread your force out more. You may actually, you may actually be, it may bring flanking into the game more than it has historically, right? Yeah, if you can get around before turn five, then yes, because um, that's been the issue. And one of the things I learned very early on in eighth edition was that actually, contrary to what you do in reality and put your fast stuff on the flanks, you want to put your fast stuff in the middle because then you're not wasting the movement, right? It's also why you give the turn away if you're fast. Make them yeah. come to you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated about it. I think it's going to 
I hope it changes things for the better, but then it's in, it's kind of a, fr it's also just a fresh start. So I'm not too worried about if it's in quotes better because it's so long since I've got to play Age of Sigmar um, kind of particularly competitively um, and certainly not a tournament that you, you know, a fresh start is going to be good. I can't remember most of the stuff that my armies did, so <laughs> that's fine. I suppose in the context of COVID, it's a, it's fallen at the right time, right? It's like, what a great time to learn a new game and go out and, and see people you haven't seen for a year or more. Yeah, well, that's what I was kind of asking about um, TSN in terms of intriguing beginners. One of the guys we play WoW with uh, was on Discord with me and Kieran the other night, and he was like, all right, nerds. Tell me about Warhammer because I've got no idea what it is, and then got massively dragged into obviously because Kieran likes to recruit people to things. He's such and, a pimp. Yeah, isn't he? <laughs> and and I, you know, I can't stop talking about Age of Sigma once uh, I've started, as we can tell, because this was going to be a fifteen-minute section. Um, Stormbound, and, isn't it? It has. Well, I mean, I've I've enjoyed it, and it's been interesting. Hopefully, um, so like I think it's a really good time to get into Age of Sigma. Um, looking at the new models that are coming out and. I, I often said that the thing that I didn't like about Age of Sigmar in the first few years was none of the armies really grabbed me from an aesthetic perspective. But the recent releases, you know, as you know, Lumineth aren't for me, but they're great models. Mm. Um, the Sons of Bearmat are incredible. Um, the Iron Jaws are really good. The Sylvaneth are really good. Um, I love all the God models. I think Kragnos is really fun. Um, the new Stormcasts look great. Um, the Cruel Boys, uh, look phenomenal. Um, oh, yes. And with rumours of other, and suggestions and hints of other factions to come with Chaos Duarden, uh, potentially Grun Grungi uh, Duarden as well, um, I think it's a good time to start playing the game. Um, so, yeah. Um, if you're listening to this and you have a mate who used to play Warhammer with at school, tell them it's a good time to get back involved. Buy them a paint set for their birthday um, and get them watching TSN. Um, Particularly with the competitive team nature of it, I think there's, I think it's quite enough fun. To, to a, in, in response to your earlier question, what am I looking to play in, in AOS 3? Um, I mean, if I ever get my corn army painted, it might be quite good fun to play with it. Um, I did actually do some painting on the wings this week. Yay. Nice. Um, I've got an extensive night horn army that I could probably field at least two, probably three or even four very different variants. And I have come up with a color scheme. Um, for new Stormcast, and for the first time, I think I will actually get some. Hey. I think we can postpone a discussion on that to to an open section for a future episode. But yeah, um, but yeah I've got a color scheme in mind. I think it might look quite good. I've got three Shade Spire models. I'm going to test paint at some point in the next Looking week or two. To seeing them. Uh, I yeah, to answer that question, I am getting my Tempest Eye painted up. Um, I've started some work on some pistoliers. Um, I'm going to make my griffin, I'm going to call it a fleopard, so it's going to be a pheasant leopard, <laughs> um, which could, uh, has no bearing on how good the rules are going to be or not, but my suspicion is that I'm going to enjoy MSU pistoliers, a griffin, and dropping in a couple of my um, carriage units. And I'm, the reason I've picked that army I'm very excited to get back under the skin and list building again because I do think Battalion's killed it a little bit. That's my opinion, and I appreciate one that's not shared by everybody. Yeah. But um, Battalion's for me skewed list building and often took the the kind of fun out of it uh, a little bit, particularly with books where you have a clear 
well, that's what I do, Lords of the Lodge being the ultimate culprit. So uh, I'm looking forward to being sort of free of that and always glory hunting 12 units to get those three carriage units in and mixing that up. And yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, looking forward to uh, Cities is great. <laughs> I'm excited to see the White Dwarf rules about um, ogres as mercenaries. I wonder if they'll go into cities. Um, so yeah, AOS 3 is on its way. If you want to get some hype going for that, um, Rob and the team at the Table Sports Network are going to be live on Twitch this weekend with two uh, semi-finals um, leading into the final. I, I don't actually know when that's going to be, but they'll, I'm sure they have a schedule on their website. Um, and on Friday evening, they will be doing um, list reveals uh, based on the bands that have come out um, this week for the two rounds that we have coming up. Um, so check it out. Failing that, uh, you can check out all of Rob's content at tsportsnetwork.com and I'm sure we can post a link up uh, in the show notes. Yeah, I'm interested to see how many listeners we have that haven't heard of uh, The Honest Wargamer. Sod all. We will find out. Um, great, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back with the narrative section. Welcome back. Uh, this week in the narrative section, we're returning to the Underhive um, after a horrible plague swept uh, through the entire spire. Um, we actually got to play Necromunda in person um, only a few weeks after we got to play AOS in person for the first time, and it was good. It was lovely. Yeah. Very um, lovely. Uh, for the listeners who know what we talk about um we have been doing necromunda since its re-release and alex in particular is mega into it um and i have to say i've really rekindled my love for it having played um i also got the squad based kind of ps4 game a while ago which was a bit rubbish but um yeah really into the setting and um i painted a load earlier in the year so it was nice to get them out um and it was also really nice, I thought, I don't know what you thought, Alex, um, to just play a game as because we've usually had kind of campaign games or we've been we've had to like record experience and all that kind of stuff um, on Yak Tribe and keep up to date with characters and deaths and, and so on. And it was kind of refreshing to just go, here's these dudes. There's an objective, maybe have some gunfire. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. So um, obviously Necromund has had a bit of a, a resurgence as it kind of goes into edition 2.5, if you like, with the new um, House of Books being yeah. released, uh, which I think is fantastic. Um, uh, the reason I wanted to, uh, the reason I wanted to talk about it on the show today, uh, which I appreciate I only get wheeled out when we're talking about Necromund in some capacity, um, the... <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think it's more that the, we talk about it when you show up. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> so, so it was, like you said, it was really important to play uh, a skirmish game. And actually, it, the, the whole, despite this being the narrative section, GW was sold Necromund as being a campaign game, which it is, it absolutely is. But it's also inherently imbalanced as a game. Getting better, but still inherently imbalanced. Um, and actually campaigns can be very frustrating and they can be frustrating for a number of reasons. Uh, the bookkeeping, like you just suggested, uh, being a huge one of those. And if you have, if you've got a gang on the go and you've had 
um, a few bad games in a row and your arbitrator doesn't introduce some checks and balances to try and um, pick you back up by the scruff of the neck, you then also don't get to access all your toys, literally and yeah. proverbially. Um, and when you don't get to do that, it can become quite frustrating. You start to wonder why the hell you're doing it, right? Blood Bowl, I had a very similar experience with, of, right? Um, yeah. And it was great to stand around and just play a skirmish game and say it's 1,000 credits, pick what you want as long as it's within this building rules. Um, yeah. And uh, I genuinely would encourage anybody who's thinking of accessing Necromunda, don't jump both feet first into a campaign. Play some skirmish games, try out the different toys, try out the fun stuff, get a feel for what you like, and then yeah. jump into a campaign where you can think about how you glory hunt that stuff. And I find that you still end up telling stories with it, right? So one of the things that was slightly frustrating about having a campaign and then the campaign being protracted and resetting the campaign and it being spread over several years is exactly as you said i ended up using the same eight goliath models that i painted in 2018 for a very long time and i still like those models but because i enjoyed making them so much and they were more or less stock with a bit of tweaks um from the the starter set with the escher um i've got like a whole other gang now that's still Goliath of like extras and like hangers on and bounty hunters and an Ogryn and a stimmer. And I made a forge tyrant because, you know, the leader in the box originally, it's just a ganger with, you know, the rules for a leader. But now that you've got the house of chains expansion, you can look at what other, you know, the, the eight guys might not be the whole gang. Like it's a whole, it's a whole settlement of people. So actually, I found that there was an, enough story going on just by taking the models that I don't usually use. And I was like, you know, so I don't need to like, uh, it's like a it's like a guest appearance, you know. Um, yeah. So like, and you guys used to give yeah. me so much hassle for bringing uh, grenade launchers as well. So I was like, all right, I'll buy a really expensive like special weapon instead. And like, I'm, I'll just get killed because all my points are on one guy and... You know, and then you take a heavy bolter and you headshot an auger into death the first time you fire it. And it was awesome. Um, yeah, and it, it was great. Uh, and and that's so, so, so a little bit of backdrop. Um, we played a uh, we played a three way game with uh, with Rob Fellman. Uh, Rob took the um, slave augering gang, um, and then I had my Orlocks because I was desperate to try out the Arms Master and the Wreckers. Uh, cool. I also took and um, which were very cool. I did take a cyber mastiff, but I actually won't be doing that again. I don't think they really added anything. They're just sort of a bit that you push around and it gets in the way. Um, and uh, and then of course you, you gave you an opportunity to try out your heavy bolts, a dude, your new forge tyrant, a stimmer. Did you have a stimmer? No, you didn't, did you? No, I didn't, but Rob was using it as an ogren. That's right. That's why it's in your head. Um, it was on the board. Right. And actually the story yeah. we told with that was that it was a stimmer who'd got pissed off with the Goliaths and left and yes. was the champion of a slave ogring yeah. gang in revolt. So there's then, sort of a House of Chains uprising going on. So we, we told a story with it. Which is actually the canon in the book as well. So Is it um, actually? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I have read it, but, you know, COVID happened and it was over a year ago. Yeah. Um, so it's fantastic. And that was that same stimmer that ran around the corner and steps on your leader's neck eventually, wasn't it, <laughs> using that card? So yeah. it's just, I think there's, so there's 
two points I wanted to draw, draw out of this segment. And one of them is if you're, if you're looking at accessing Necromunda, because now's a really good time to do it because there is now a reasonably priced starter set available, um, which uh, Dark Uprising, to be clear, was excellent value for money if you were somewhat already committed to playing it. Yeah. This, this box set um, is uh, by far and away uh, less of a, a sting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just wholly recommend that you do do what we did. Just almost inquisitor it. Just be like, here is the rough credit limit-ish, but actually just get the cool stuff out, put it on the table, move things around and, and enjoy it. Um, because yeah. it is a very dicey game. And it's uh, the, the ways that the rules interact. Everything's quite cinematic inherently anyway. So you're not losing that narrative component of the game by yeah. playing some skirmish battles. And if anything, it will hopefully kind of whet your appetite a bit more and, and give you a bit of release, particularly if you have got a campaign ongoing and you're stuck with the same five dudes that always seem to be laying flat on their backs and have auto guns. It was um, a real... Um... A real testament to the game as well, which I didn't think I'd be saying about Necromunda when we first started recording the podcast about um, about it. Um, the new additions kind of fit. I know there's a lot of um, kind of Necromunda purists who played it in the 90s and the new edition in kind of 2001, 2002, who were less than pleased about the kind of Van Saar guys on Green Goblin skateboards and um, the Wreckers <laughs> on jump packs and... You know, it, it almost feels like we're only a step away from someone showing up on a literal um, jet bike or something. And I, I was kind of cynical about um, adding new stuff in when there's so much established law. But actually, it worked really well. And I was, and that was largely because of how it worked mechanically. I thought the jump pack was super clear. And um, the way that the wrecker played in your list with the... Um, she was great. Yeah, with and she had like a, a demolition charge as well. And she's like, yeah. what, strength two, toughness two, like like lowest stats that you can get in your gang. Cheap as chips, but then you've got this like rocket strapped to your back and a high explosive in your hand. And it's like, that's a, like, that's a really cute way of like injecting some real peril and fear into your opponent. Because you can go anywhere and do anything and you will immediately be killed when you get there. Except she... Except she has it because, Don- as you said, it's a I, I, dice game. I played with Donal shortly afterwards as an intro game, which segues on to what I'm going to yeah. uh, say next. But um, she survived uh, both games, having thrown a bomb in the middle of the um, opposing opposing gang. Uh, yeah. Relatively unsuccessfully, because she's never managed to hit with it, but it's just such a large template, it still managed to ruin someone's day. Yeah. Um, and actually, I, and just to kind of wrap this point up, um, if you were always a little bit cynical about um, Necromunda, because it got a lot of bad, I think the 2018 initial release got quite a lot of bad press because it hadn't been thought through particularly well and there was definitely some formatting issues because it is a smaller studio and those guys are doing an amazing job, clearly, because the game was getting a lot of support. Um, yeah. It just needed that first edition to get out of the way, I think. The new House of Books just makes stuff so much clearer. Um I actually easier. find them easier to navigate as well. Like the indexing is much clearer in them. Um, like com- compared to, what well, I mean, how how big was the original Goliath book? Like a quarter of the length, if that. Um, but the thing that you have is it's actually um, got all the stuff in it. Like I'm not having to jump to another book and find anything. What I need to know is in the book, and it's actually really well summarized and navigable. Which yeah, for a Games Workshop book. 
Um, and I've only read The House of Chains. I haven't read um, the other um, kind of house codexes, if you like. Um, but it just was like, it's a big book to carry around. And obviously you you had the rule books while I wrote your flat, so I didn't have to lug mine about. But it just felt a lot easier than it had ever felt. As you say, part of that's because of bookkeeping not being a thing for a one-off game. But um, it was nice to just throw down. Yeah, and uh, the, the, what the new books do very well is they take all of the um, abilities and weapon special rules and put them all into, and like I said, an easy navigatable um, condensed area. Uh, so you're not having to flick between three different books to try and find the one thing that you need. It's either yeah. a core rules interaction on a standard thing such as movement, line of sight, etc., or it is... I need to look up what unwieldy is or I need to look up what shock is and you now can do that very quickly and easily so that's that's great so new question if you like you'd say you had a game with with rob when you do that how long does the game take so I mean, you no, guys were pretty hungover right we were very hungover because was there um so uh, he stayed at mine the night before and uh, we got a new coffee machine and he made espresso martinis and I was watching videos of Lepris play live at two in the morning um, with him. So, but uh, a game doesn't, uh, to answer your question, Andy, um, a, a, a game doesn't have a set amount of terms like AOS, but what it does have is the bottle mechanic. So there does come a point where your game will just ignore what you're telling them to do and run away. Um, and actually in a campaign, um, which our group never did, and I think that's because we were all so grateful to have an evening off and have some game time, everybody stuck out some bitter end, but actually sometimes a sensible thing in a campaign game is to start the game, do one, shoot, shoot one guy and leave. Like yeah. that's actually genuinely the sensible thing to do. Get, so it's room, actually, get some experience for surviving. Exactly, even, if you, even if you technically lose, it's yeah. actually best just to, to do the thing. So actually, how long is the game? It's very quite difficult to quantify that, uh, depending on narratively how sensible you're being. It's at campaign. least half an hour. <laughs> yeah, to, to, to set the table up, because that yeah. is a pain. Um, we, I mean, when we played, it was, what, two two and a half hours? But that's I a think com so. complicated was... three-player game. We hadn't played in over a year. Um, Rob had never played with his warband before. None of the characters in mine had war gear that I'd ever used before. So we were, we, we had to look everything up, and there were three players with, uh, I guess, the average number of guys was six each. You, you had slightly more because of the way all of Six, was. seven. I mean, Rob had four because yeah, he was exactly. but um, yeah. So yeah. I... I, I think reasonably you could play a game of Necromunda in two hours. It's certainly a quicker game to play I, than I think Sigma. less actually. Genuinely, I think you can play a two-player game of a relatively because bearing in mind a lot of the campaign system says you can only have D three models on the table. Yeah, true. Um, and now that we've all established that four by four tables are a ridiculous size to play Necromunda on, don't do it. Yeah, so uh, we were playing three by three, which is yeah, smaller than they recommend. Perfect size. So the reason I asked the question, I mean, as you know, I have a partially painted Orlock gang. I have a partially painted Delac gang. Um, you know, if you guys turned around and said, let's go down to the club and, and play Necromother tomorrow night, it'll take about two hours. I'd be like, yeah, if you don't mind me learning the game while we're doing it, that'd be great fun, right? Yeah, well, let's do that then. Well, yeah, but, but, I mean, <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Adam, Adam just sees another opportunity to force me to paint models quickly. Yep. <laughs> and that's I've how some, we learn. <laughs> I've got some. I've got. I've got a tin of dip here, which genuinely I used for my necromant terrain because it. Oh, sorry, Alex. You're just you're just breaking up there. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Don't don't use dip on that command. No, you no 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 use dip on terrain. It's amazing because it dries oh, yeah. with it dries with loads of sediment. Every tool uh, has the right rain. job. <laughs> so. Yeah, agreed. Um, anyway, so yeah, sorry. Yeah, that sorry. Necromunda is in a really good place at the moment as well, which is exciting. Maybe we're just excited about playing games because of lockdown, because I've realised we've just given glowing, excited reviews about new additions to the two <laughs> well, games I, we talk about. I, I, agree and I, dis I, I agree and I disagree, because to summarise, when I was teaching Donal the game from Cold in preparation for the Ash Waste, which we spoke about in the previous yeah. episode, um, I was, the last time I tried to teach something that it was actually quite painful um, because of the bookkeeping and the messing around and the, oh, God, give me a minute, I need to look this up. Um, we had a really good game that lasted an hour and a half, two hours of me explaining to Donal how the game works. Yeah. Uh, and he actually described it as, as relaxed and uh, enjoyable and a bit of a nice break from AOS because it was just very, my leader would do this. Of course he won't, I'm just going to do that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's in a good place to summarise, genuinely. Yeah. And it allows you to play in that narrative way, right? Just by virtue of the kind of predefined roles. Like this is a, this is a specialist with a heavy weapon. So, I, you know, I'm going to put them up in a place to do that. But then, oh, they're out of position. Like it plays very narratively. Like the, you, you end up doing things because it's what they would do rather than it 100% of the time being tactically the best thing to do. Possibly because that's not always clear what the most tactically advantageous thing to do is because a lot of the time your weapon jams or someone blows up the building you're in. So it's quite, it's quite, um, it's quite fluid. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still massively looking forward to Ash Waste, of course, later in the year. But in the interim, I'm, I'm hoping that we are able to get some more pickup games of kind of smaller skirmishy um, type stuff. And, and Necromunda's top of my list for that. Well, let's um, let's take Andy up on his offer and <laughs> give the listeners what they want, which is a yeah. game that we'll never talk about on a future episode. Yeah, and uh, Andy can speed paint both of his gangs uh, by the time he next comes to London next week. So that's uh, that was the uh, narrative oh. section. <laughs> I'll leave you to manage that. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Welcome back. Uh, this week in the open section, we are staying in the Underhive um, and we're going to have a bit of a chat about a computer game, um, which is something that we said we'd do right uh, from the teaser for this season, but haven't done all that much about um, other than touching on the World of Warcraft and Shadowlands, which Andy and I are still playing uh, as we come towards the end of the tier. Congratulations on Keystone Master, by the way, Andy. It was a bit of a slog, but we got there in the end. I had to level a whole new character and Pug as a tank, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'd like to give an update on my World of Warcraft progress <laughs> since that episode. Um, I quit. <laughs> what level did you get to? Uh, the, the level that I paid for. Oh, wow. <laughs> I used my token on a guy. I actually really enjoyed it. I, 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 sorry, I don't want to hijack this i actually did quite enjoy it i just don't have the time to, no. to put into it it's quite a big investment so, yeah. especially if it is a big investment like it's a great investment so well, it's certainly a great investment i don't want to put anybody off but um not for me 
I've spent quite a lot of my life trying to put people off World of Warcraft, to be honest. It's not always a good experience. You need a good group of people with you. Um, I, it's funny, we mentioned Kieran, but I totally got recruited by Kieran. Yeah, and, and you're not the only person. Yeah, I know. There's, I feel like there should be a support group for that. So recruited yeah. by Kieran. Yeah, he's, he's He's all aboard the hype train, really, isn't he? Um, so I mentioned earlier in the episode the Necromunda... Um, Underhive or or Hive War PlayStation game that was a bit of a squad based tactical um, XCOM style thing um, that at the time of release was extremely clunky and didn't really work. Um, it looked cool. The voice acting was more or less good, um, and um, I could sense that there was like a good game in there, but it needed about six patches and everything needed to be ten times faster. Um, speaking of things that are a hundred times faster. Um, there's also a new first-person shooter set in Necromunda uh, called Necromunda Hired Gun, uh, which is out on PS4, PS5, I guess on Xbox uh, and on PC. Um, I pre-ordered that because it was on offer um, for the PS4, and um, <laughs> it's really fun. <laughs> it's so yeah. quick. Um, yeah, it's, it's basically a Doom clone. Okay, so what was the so, F, so first person shooter, which is yeah. still my favourite genre because I was always a Doom buff, which is again talking about previous episodes. Why my in, Inquisitor character for upcoming campaigns based on the Doom movie. Yeah, and High of Gun looks like it combines Doom with Necromunda. So I pre-ordered this yeah. game and then immediately forgot that it came out two days ago. So subsequently, haven't played it in time for this Damn podcast. <laughs> um, so. Walk us through what 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 what's going on and why should the listeners get involved? So it's I I want to be quite positive about it because I've basically played all of it um, in because I haven't had anything to do and it's too hot for sleep right so that's what's been happening for the last twenty four hours um, in between commission painting. There's a lot of kind of like glue fumes. It's twenty eight degrees in the flat and um, the PlayStation. I can hear the fan from here. Um, it's. If you liked Vermintide and Vermintide 2, you will like this game. Um, I thought that it was going to be pretty similar to Doom or maybe Wolfenstein, and it is and it isn't. Like, it, the complexity is quite low, okay. but actually there's quite a lot of... Um, there's a lot of stuff that you need to do that it's maybe not obvious that you need to do it straight away. So you kind of have to, the tutorials are basically non-existent. It assumes you know how first-person shooters work. There's oh, a couple Christ. of vendors you can speak to in like a, a safe zone in the underhive. And basically you're a bounty hunter. Um, and you're on a, the first mission you're on, you're out on a bounty to kill some guy Um Without too many spoilers, it goes horribly wrong. Everything collapses. Multiple gangs show up, and the shit hits the fan. Um, you wait. You're rescued, and you wake up in. Um, uh, I've been playing it for twelve hours. Can't remember what it's called. Uh, Martyrs something or other. Uh, Martyrs rest. I'm not sure, but it's a um, the safe zone, like your sanctuary or the the, the town portal place, right? Um, and be, I guess in the fluff would be like a guild of control zone, right? It is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and basically, it's a bar, and um, there's a there's like an ad mech dude who can kit out your guns, and there's a vendor who can sell you like rare guns that have been found, like Archaeotech, and 
because um, you're a bounty hunter, there's that whole kind of Cal Jericho background where it's better to be lucky than good. So you find that lucky trinkets within the game that you can attach to your guns. And in a game like Call of Duty, you have like trinkets attached to your guns just for the aesthetic. But in this game, it actually affects your character. So it's more like putting gems in slots in World of Warcraft. So it's actually, in terms of your gear and equipment, there's a lot of depth. There's also a whole system for bionic upgrades um, and you can do all sorts of crazy stuff like wall running and jumping and um, you can double jump and you can boost and um, you can do quite a lot of movement based stuff if you upgrade your bionics. Um, so there's quite a lot of flavor to how you want to play it. And it being 40K, one of the things I've really noticed is that the guns feel like 40k guns and that's something that i haven't felt has been the case since like fire warrior on the ps2 like generally speaking like a bolter just becomes a machine gun in this it really does feel like the slugs are traveling about a little bit slower and they will explode like it's a lot more like a um a bolter would be described in the black library novels than you would typically see in like dawn of war or something just wanted to pick up on a point you made earlier. So, do, if, as you're playing the game, would are you effectively build like other different character builds? So you could end up with you could play it through twice, and your bounty hunter be built in two completely different ways. So there are the environment, or is it all a little? Is it all quite linear, and therefore the game, you know, the the replay value is you, you play it through once, do side missions, and be kind of done, sort of thing. So I suspect that there's some replay value. I don't think that there's masses. Um, and the way that the game works is that you go to a mission table um, and you can select story missions, B missions, A missions, S missions, and they are increasingly difficult. And I'm playing this on normal. Um, I'm good at FPS, not great, but I'm good. And normal is the second difficulty of four. I have found it really hard it's tuned like a 90s shooter right it's tuned like doom you need to know what you're doing you need to do things in the right order you need to run away you need to not pick up all the health and ammo when you first see it because you need to be dry when you pick it up and it doesn't respawn so like it's quite punishing in that sense um but you've got your story missions and then you've got missions that take you back into those maps so i think there are 12 or 13 story missions and then you don't have to play them in a row like you can you have to play them sequentially but you can go away and you can do like a random bounty or you can go and um, poison some water supplies or you can go and destroy some ammunition um you can do all sorts of different things in the maps you've already played um and they're, they're kind of more of an arcadey element but unlike most games where you would just do that as like a side thing you keep all the money and loot from those so if you're stuck on a story level you go back and lick your wounds, go into somewhere you've been before and do a different, just like non-story related mission. And if you get a load of credits and a new gun, you can take those with you into the mission you were stuck on. So I think it's a way of them allowing you to play quite hard and, and come back into it. And it gives it a bit more depth and breadth. Is it all single player? As far as I'm aware, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th I think it is. Um, there doesn't seem. Never to be seen any on, kind of online arena type stuff. Then I don't. I was so. I was more thinking, can we play it together? Because I I'm not the biggest fan of PvP because most of the rest of the world is better at it than me. Um, 
which is very frustrating because I just mm. die all the time. Um, but it'd be fun if it was multiplayer. Like you could yeah, team VAI, right? That would be that would be cool. Um, it's not currently in the game, and um, I can't. I don't know if is Focus the same studio that did Vermintide because there wasn't. That was co-op, but this is F, like single-player FPS. Um, so, uh, so look, I suspect. I suspect not. Um, I mean, so it's it's ta- it's taken some flack this week for like some of the AI being a bit weird, and like I've found a couple of the missions like you can just drop out of the map because you've jumped off the wrong thing, and it's not always clear. But I think part of that is just how dark I've got the screen. So there's stuff you you know it's in the underhive. Sometimes it's not super obvious where things are, but you. You get scanners and you augment weaponry. It's very punishing in terms of like the number of times you die on a mission and like the number of health packs that are available, which I guess could be a criticism, but actually it's it's kind of got me into it because like I know I have to beat the level rather than just have the endurance and the time to beat the level. Um yeah, I like it. It's not it's not a clever game. It's dumb, it's very fast paced. Um to answer Alex's question before, I think you could build the character differently as you play through it, but you'd end up at the same point. So there's like five skill trees and you need something from all of those, but you could certainly lean into them because you don't have enough credits to unlock them all at all as you go. I mean, I've basically finished the game and I'm still like 100,000 credits away from unlocking rank four on one of the core abilities. Um, yeah. So it's not like a, it's not like a Deusex by... You know, or, or RPG component to it. It is a full-on no frills. It's, it's, a, pick, it's up a, the, pick up the plasma gun, and you can yeah. finally hear what a plasma gun sounds like. Um, it's it's a linear FPS, and you can choose right. which bounty hunter you are, and there are like twelve of them in terms of how you look, which is weird because obviously it's FPS, you can't so see you them. just see the gun. Um, and I feel like so there's male and female options, and um, I assume that there's just one voice actor for. Is there a no, squad? No, they're no, they're all human. Okay. But you know, um, that said, there are everything you can possibly imagine being in Necromunda is in the game, and you know, some of it is just they've digitally scanned or recreated models. So like the Ogrins look exactly like the Ogrin gang, which is cool. Um, there's an Ambot as well, right? Yes, not just an ambot. In fact, there are times in the game where you wonder if they could fit more ambots into the map physically, and you wonder why you didn't bring a grenade launcher with you, and it's very scary. Um, Yeah, it's cool. And like, yeah, one of the slightly weird things about it is that you can't pick up gun, you can pick up guns during the game, but as far as I've been able to tell, having pressed every button on the controller, the guns that you have equipped to your inventory when you start the mission are the guns that you are going to use. That's not true. You can press and hold square to pick them up, but it's not It's not obvious. It took me a while to figure that out. I've realized I have figured that out, but um, you find stuff and it's not immediately usable, Like if I, um, which is okay, but um, I, it, it needs a user interface inventory, whereas at the moment you have to go and talk to a vendor to access your inventory and you can change your loadout so there's like a preloading like if you select a mission from the mission table there's a there's a window before the mission loads where you select your loadout but it's the easiest thing in the world to just click past it like if you press the wrong button it just starts the mission um 
and like you go, oh, I didn't bring any health packs with me. I guess I'll be watching this loading screen a couple more times. Oh. Um, okay. I, I so gotta so say, there's like, some clunky bits in it, then, by the sounds of it. Yeah. But what I would say, in kind of its defense on that, is it's not a AAA game. Like, this has not been made by EA. This has not been made by Activision. It's not COD. You know, it's not Battlefield. It cost me 28 quid. It's a 12, 13 hour long, like, single player campaign, first person shooter. And do you know what? I really enjoyed that. Um, I've spent a lot of time playing uh, Call of Duty Warzone and Battlefield 5 online with other people um, and played a lot of World of Warcraft online with people as well. Um, and the other like single player games I've played this year have been like wildly time consuming, like Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I've got like 100 hours played on that. I kind of like that I spent like 30 quid and played a game through. And if I wanted to pick up something that was just arcadey then i could go and do some side missions and upgrade my stuff so i liked it um and that's I'm, not I'm, what a lot of the reviews have said i imagine you'll get some downloadable content as well so. i think so I th there's some already like you can again you don't see your own character so it seems largely pointless but there are different color schemes for your armor um <laughs> one of one of those is the dlc like occasionally you'll punch someone to death and you'll like have a different the armor on your arm is a different color and there, there's a couple of cutscenes where you're in it but a lot of the time you're kind of an observer because you're going in to kill people right you're not kind of having a big chat with them you're just being paid to murder somebody so like you'll watch like a goliath and an Asher leader having a conversation in the video and then you'll like jump down and you'll be seen for like a split second and i'm like am i gonna pay to have a different coat on while i'm doing that <laughs> probably not um <clears throat> You know, because it's the same coat, it's just a different colour as well. But there um, to answer the previous question, Vermintide yeah. was made by Fat Shark. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, it's so, yeah. which kind of it leans into this sort of games workshop continuing to go with the more sort of indie yeah. uh, developers for their current games. I wonder if um, something we haven't talked about yet, Warhammer Plus, because I sort of assume we're going to cover that at some point. Wonder if this that marks a new dawn of a new era for the developers they work with. I don't know. I mean, it depends. Depends how their marketing department and their budgeting is approaching TV and film versus um, gaming. It's a very different prospect in a very different industry. Um, so we'll see. It'd be quite cool if Warhammer Plus also gave you the option to stream play their games you know you could get hold of um dawn of war and whatever through that if you oh. went on, but i suspect it's going I, to just be the visual i think where my head was going with that i don't know if andy agrees having um contacts shall we say in the industry but i don't know if there was a um a piece around if you're starting to attract cool studios to do animations where then suddenly the games developers go, oh, hello, there's, a, there's an audience for that, particularly if you're then attracting I don't know, a new audience to that content, you may then want to, it's kind of like the Marvel, uh, yeah. sorry, the, the experiment they did with the Matrix, right, where one of the video games was actually an extension of one of the movies, and you were So, en Enter the Matrix, Enter yes. the Matrix is the game you're talking about, and actually um, the directors and writers consider Enter the Matrix to be part of the Matrix story, which is why The Matrix 2 makes no fucking sense. 
because you need to have played Enter the Matrix to know who anybody is or what's happening, which I found out the other day because Matrix 4 is coming out. Uh, Five? I don't know. Matrix 4 is coming out. And I was like, I fell down a Wikipedia hole and um, landed on Enter the Matrix. And it was like, yeah, they, they consider it to be canon and actually one of the core parts of the story in that wow. sort of like insane 90s early 2000s way that people approached media being like i'm going to tell this story across all these platforms that only two people will ever access um so yeah no i i, I think that that's probably a good instinct you know let's let's say that um let's say they did gaunt's ghosts as an ongoing tv series for 10 years and it became a huge huge thing you would struggle to see small indie game makers be the main purview i think you know you you'd, you would hope if if you were looking to do tie-in content you would hope that it would be uh bigger studios but kind of as a counterpoint you know you look at game of thrones or something and the it's so big that it then becomes mobile territory so it's maybe a slightly bigger yeah. mobile game territory and it's board <laughs> game territory and it's miniatures game territory but that's what gw is already doing so i guess time will tell fair enough yeah well I, i'm downloading it as a speed so i can actually play it and... yeah and one of the things that we haven't mentioned at all which i know you'll enjoy although you just said uh in the narrative section about cyber mastiffs getting in the way a bit um you have a cyber mastiff in um hired gun and um it's as upgradable as your character is in terms of bionics and um yeah it's the sort of game that what depth there is isn't obvious straight away and then halfway through the game you're massively engrossed in it and you're like oh i've got all of this stuff that i need to upgrade and it suddenly just dumps loads of things on you and you're firing a bolter and a plasma pistol and it's cool even though it's problematic that you are firing a bolter, because I thought it was also a bit contentious that normal human beings could do that, but there you go. Yeah. One thing that's slightly interesting, and we've talked before about corpse starch and the general kind of setting of Necromunda, the people who've made this game have been in deep conversation with people who make and write Necromunda. Like, there is a lot of quite deep lore in it that's not, like, explored and not like you don't meet it head to head in terms of like this is the story that we're telling like you are just going around killing people but like the settings that you're in like there's a lot of necromunda stuff in there it's not it's not just like a recreation of the battlefield in a box from the you know because one of my criticisms of the um squad based necromunda game from last year was that it was very much kind of like i'm in a metal box and these models, these characters look like the models in the game, and they're not actually super animated because it's squad based. So, whilst it was fun to play Necromunda on PlayStation, it was very slow. Everything looked the same. Everything was kind of brown with red light, and everything was squares with the Adeptus Mechanicus symbol or the Necromunda symbol on it and blood, right? This has got some really good level design just in terms of like looking at it and imagine, like, there's, there's settings in it that obviously exist in Necromunda and exist in the books, whether it's Cal Jericho books or they, you know, the series of Necromunda books that they did in the early 2000s that explored the setting more broadly and led to the narratives that we have in the kind of house books now. There's a there's several moments in the game where like, I've not necessarily been super engrossed in the gameplay. And then there's like a cutscene and you walk into the new zone and I'm like, oh shit, that's what that looks like. And that was cool. So there we are. 
In summary. In summary. It's in cool. In summary, cool. Play it. It's not the best game you'll ever play, but it is fun. And sounds like it's reasonably priced and will, you know. Yeah. I think Hopefully so. there isn't another lockdown and a reason to kill time, but if you've got a normal reason to kill time, then have at it. Yeah, indeed. Um, so I guess that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thanks very much for coming on, guys. Um, by the time we have our next episode out, um, we should know who's won the T-Sports Network, or we might even be just before the weekend of the final. I'm not quite sure on the dates on that, but we'll, we'll probably talk about that. Um, and uh, we won't be all that far from Age of Sigmar 3. Um, so not. I'm very much... We'll know a lot more, hopefully. Um, in fact, I'm going to say this now. If AOS 3 is on pre-order the week that the next episode's out. I think I'm going to postpone the episode until AOS 3 is out. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. I agree with you, but it's probably going to be a two-week pre-order, right? Yeah, it yeah. could well be. Yeah. So we'll see. We might we might do one episode without it, but I'm I'm keen to to do a, a good episode on um, on Age of Sigma 3 when it comes out and, and and how we kind of respond to it in our first. Bang out some games. Yeah, exactly. I think we'll know a lot more because they're obviously doing the, the, the kind of rules preview articles right now. So I feel yeah. like there's going to be some content there. And um, it'll be great to start seeing how other people are preparing for it. And... Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks very much, guys. Um, as, as I've said before, Exit 23 Games have a discount on their um, alternative Blood Bowl minis and their... Um, paints uh, i misspoke last episode it's actually turbo dark paints not dark star my apologies um so if you go to the exit 23 games website uh, the code uh, for our listeners is angel 2021 and the a in angel is capitalized okay um the numbers are numeric um thanks to jay channer uh, for the music uh, as ever and thanks to you guys for coming and talking to me about hobby i've enjoyed myself always a pleasure you are welcome We will see you next time.